Hi, you're listening to the Road to a Billion podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Georgi. Since 2011, I've sold over $700 million worth of products for both clients and my own companies. I've also founded or co-founded eight different businesses that have grossed between seven to nine figures in revenue. Today, I focus a lot of my time on teaching, training, and mentoring the next generation of freelancers and entrepreneurs. And that's why I created The Road to a Billion, a call-in radio show style podcast where I answer people's questions on mindset, business ownership, scaling funnels, copywriting, and more. If you want to submit a question, then check out the show notes to learn how, or visit me at stephanpaulgeorgi.com forward slash subscribe to opt into my email list. And every week, you'll get a link to join the live call-in show. And with that being said, let's go ahead and get started. Hey guys, in this episode, nine-figure entrepreneur Stefan Georgi and co-host Ed Ray are joined by seven-figure entrepreneur Matt Shubrook. Matt's a marketing genius and a strategic partner on over a dozen offers, which collectively generated over eight figures in 2020. Now, Here's a glimpse of the game-changing insights you can expect in this episode. How to create a stable income by following your core passion. How to best deal with negative criticism and use it as a motivator to grow exponentially. I hope you enjoy. All right, next up. Well, uh, we have from Jamila. Jamila. Sorry, Jamila, um, asking about <clears throat> good copywriting niches. Jamila, what's up? Hey, guys. Um, I didn't know you were going to actually make me speak, but here I am. I'm ready now. <laughs> so, um, hi, how's it going? So I was I wanted to know I come from a literary background. And I worked with Stefan in the past and had some success in the wellness niche, but I kind of want to leverage more of my literary skill set. So I was wondering if you had any ideas what would be a good niche for a copywriter with like, you know, who's a published poet and has a lot of skills in the literary world. I don't necessarily want to like keep selling snake oil, <laughs> for lack of a better word. But, you know, I just want to be creative and use my skill set to, to the max. So I was just looking for some guidance there. Jamal, real quick, also share what you're doing actively right now with like, um, you know, uh, basically creating like a school in Las Vegas and stuff like that. Oh. Something that's still going on because it's kind of cool and give it a plug, you know, might as well. Yeah, might as well. So um, I'm a I'm dean of students at Camp Chills University, which is the first um, uh, community university dedicated to the Las Vegas area that's helping put artists in a place to learn and perfect their craft. And we um, we started our school back in. October of this year, and it's been doing really well. We partnered with UNLV. We're partnering with Nevada Humanities. We've done a lot of good work. Um, so it's just like our way to give back to the community and build the artists here. So that's what I'm doing right now. But um, obviously, being a copywriter, like the itch never goes away to write really good copy. So I'm trying to figure out like how do I do all of that, plus be a literary artist, plus be a good copywriter. You know, I'm just trying to mix everything that I'm doing right now. So. Well, um, Stefan, I feel like you have some insight you would be able to share here too. And um, afterwards, I want to chime in with a couple of things. Yeah, well, I mean, I might say this just from uh, knowing Jamal, because I, yeah, I hired Jamala as a copywriter back in 2018, I think. Was it 2018, Jamala? I think it was. I don't know. Yes, it was 2018. 2018, yeah, time flies. Um, and Jamala is an incredibly good writer, an incredible, incredible poet. Um, 
But also one of those, when I talk about, oh, I can take somebody and teach them RMBC for scratch and they can write like a seven figure like uh, offer, like, you know, Jamila would be one of those cases. She actually did uh, twice for two different niches in health. So super good, but um, they're both for clients. And, um, you know, one was, uh, well, anyway, I, get, I mean, I get the understanding of, of like wanting to find ways to like how, because like, I think Jamal, kind of part of the, the question is like, you know, how can you find a niche and make a good living, like, you know, creatively as like a poet, right? Is that what you're thinking? I mean, is that, because it really, it seems like poetry and copywriting are, are a little bit separate, but I feel like you could use copywriting to you know, enhance your reach as a poet or to sell, you know, like um, poetry books or anthologies or things like that. Um or to create like interactive like poetry workshops, right? You could you could teach if you were interested in doing this. You could teach others poetry, and you could basically set up like a five day like write you know five poems challenge or something like that. And then you could um, you know have like a, where it's like a training where people go through and spend an hour each day working on their poem, and then at the end of it, um, you know, then you could charge like fifty five dollars for five days and have um, you know obviously to get some help from somebody maybe, but like run some Facebook ads to it. And then, you know, at the end of it, or sort of in the mode of the challenge, you then offer people a more involved, like, you know, four week or eight week workshop, or you could even do something where they come to Vegas and you could sort of upsell them, you know, you'd be comfortable with that level of selling. Um, but that is a kind of a, a neat niche. You, I mean, there's so many people who are into poetry and, and, and yes, there's like the starving poets who don't have a ton of money to pay for stuff, but they do have enough right. to pay $5, but B, there's all the people out there who like, um, who do like poetry, but then they, you know, they got a real job and life got in the way and they're, you know, but they're actually making 5,000 bucks, 10,000 bucks a month, whatever it is. And they actually do have disposable income. And they would like, they've, and it's been the back of their mind, like, oh, I should, you know, um, I really wish I was writing poetry more. I wish I had the time. And then if you, you could even spoke, speak to those people and help them to kind of realize that they can still pursue poetry and they can still write poems and workshop them and work on getting published. And that's sort of one of the immediate ideas that comes to my mind. Um, I'm not sure what you think about that idea, Jamila, though. Uh, it actually sounds really cool. You know, what I've run into, even with running Camp Chills, is that because Camp Chills is so community-based and community-focused, we do run into a lot of kids who are like, we're just broke poets. I don't have the money. Can I just sit in your class? And, you know, um, I'm trying to figure out how do I reach a different audience who, who has, like you said, that disposable income, but is missing that creative element in their life. And I never really thought about that. Like there are people who are closet poets who are, who've never been on the stage, never been in an open mic and never did anything like that, but they want to keep their, they want to keep that spark in their life going, that writing spark. So I've never even thought about that. So that, that is a great idea. And I'm writing everything down as you speak. So thank you, Stefan. Yeah, of course. And then Matt, I'm sure you may have an even more, way more brilliant idea than me because you're smarter than me. So I'd love to hear what Matt has as well. <laughs> I actually just have a couple of questions for you, which then we'll get we'll get the the idea. Um, in your opinion, what is copywriting? Um, in my opinion, what is copywriting? It's writing to sell a specific product, um, usually by telling a captivating story, having a very strong mechanism, and being able to draw your reader in to the point where they want to buy what it is that you're selling. So okay. I. Does that make sense? Sorry, yeah. I don't want to embarrass Stefan. No, it was good. I'm, I was getting feeling all proud. I'm like, yeah, can you tell I trained Jamila? Because like, like <laughs> this is good stuff. So my next question then is, what is it about poetry and um, creative arts that motivates you? Because obviously the money isn't the motivating factor. There's something much deeper than the money. The money is just something that 
is somewhat of a necessity, but it's not the motivator. So what is it about poetry and like helping artists that you really enjoy? Um, well, honestly, it's just, it's one of those things that feeds your soul. Like, you know, when I'm on stage or when I get other people on stage and I see them express themselves the way they've always dreamt to express themselves and they have the support and the encouragement to keep going. Um, those are things that just light me up, you know, from the inside out. So it's kind of like, that's my high, you know, some people have the things that they, they crave. I, I crave the stage. I crave putting people on the stage. I crave people putting people in books, getting people published. I, you know, it's just, it's just something that, um, I guess at the root of it is, um, helping people feel accepted, recognized, acknowledged that their, that their word means something. I feel like those are things that, you know, it might be some past trauma of mine, but it's also being able to give back to people in that way and to, to allow them to know that they can actually do something with their art, that their art does matter. I feel like that's where my love from poetry comes from. So it's guiding them and creating a framework to present them with an experience that will change their life and sh- like Ab- within a, essentially, right? Yeah, absolutely. So let's look at copywriting again. What's the shortest form of copywriting and most times the first form of copy that a client will experience and the journey of um, getting to like the long form copy? And th- this Fair isn't a trick question. It could Is be it, the email. Would, it's it's going to be the ad, right? Whether it's oh, right. A, a text mm-hmm. ad, an image ad, if it's a video ad, if it's an email, there's thoughts that are being implanted and there's a conversation that's starting, right? That mm-hmm. is beginning to frame the journey that the customer is about to go down. They don't realize they're about to go down this, right? Just like with the poetry, you're able to strike people's emotions and take them down an experience revealing truths to them that they might not have been able to recognize if you just went to it like like just bluntly went to it right it would be like shining a light bright in someone's face you kind of slowly have to bring them down this journey to get the desired outcome out of your poetry well copywriting in many ways is similar to that right you just can't start off like hey buy this product i mean if it's a really cool product maybe but there's like a much better chance of success when you take them down this journey. So to get to your original question, how do you find a niche that um, you're able to get into as a published poet? I would ask myself, what would I be comfortable with and what would I consider to be, uh, in terms of finances, a comfort zone that I I would like to get to, to allow myself to just go full on into the poetry stuff. And then I would find out like, okay, is it possible to work in a vertical that will allow me to produce this money and provide me with the time and energy that I need to pursue my true passion? And even better, if I do that along the way, can I figure out how do I align my core passion with some kind of profit stream? And sometimes you can't force that to happen. It just comes naturally from you putting yourself forward to do the things that you really enjoy doing, right? If, and here's the crazy part, right? And this ties into the question Michael asked earlier. When you love what you do, you're not really working, right? You're getting Mm -hmm. to practice things that make you happy. And if you're really good at it, you're getting paid to practice things that make you happy. But whether or not you're getting paid or not, if it makes you happy, you do what makes you happy, right? The money, it's not completely insignificant, right? But again, that's not the focus. The The money comes as a byproduct of 
just doing things that make you happy. You could pursue money by doing things that don't make you happy, but as I said earlier, that creates like a false sense of success and it robs you of joy in other areas of your life. So like just allowing yourself to pursue the things that you really enjoy automatically will set you on the course to having more fulfillment, whether you make a hundred grand, a million, 50 grand, 200 million, like no matter how many sales you make, if you're not aligned with something that makes you happy, the money isn't going to make you happy. Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. I really appreciate your feedback, uh, Matt and Stefan. And um, yeah, I, I feel like um, I've got some, some good building blocks to kind of keep working on this idea that I have in mind. And also just before I get off, I just wanted to say your idea to like help kids learn about market. Well, first learn about themselves and identify with themselves and then learn skills that can help them make money. I feel like that's something that will catch on fire no matter where you set it off at. And if you need some support in that, let me know. I'm, that's something that it really uh, sparks passion in me too. When I hear, when you hear, when I hear you guys talk about ideas like that. That's awesome. awesome. And what's crazy is, um, as I mentioned earlier, right. I like allowing other people to shine. I don't have all the answers, right. I'm really good at helping people become their best. And as such, like to help kids become their best, it's not going to be my content, right? It's just going to be me helping to shape the content with other content creators. So for instance, um, and this, I see David asked a question if I have a podcast. Um, I don't have a podcast, but I have a, um, a mastermind called Profit for a Purpose. And basically we teach people how to increase their profits and increase their happiness and to have impact. So like make more profits, but for a specific purpose. And um, I guess what's unique about like the whole um, journey is a lot of the content that we're creating in Profit for a Purpose, eventually I'm going to reshape into some kind of training curriculum um, that will then help those kids. We might have to like boil it and refine it down so it's like more consumable because some of the stuff might be, you know, too advanced or too deep but we'll take nuggets from it and then create something for the kids. And so I'm totally open to whoever wants to help provide content. I don't know when we're going to really go like knee deep into that part of the, the phase or like that phase of the project, but it's coming soon. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to answer my question. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Jamal. So good to hear your voice as always. And those good questions. Yeah. We got some good questions today. Yeah. Cool. What's next? Question here from Max Uria about haters and criticism. Nice. So Max. Hey guys, how are you? Good. Nice. Nice. I, I just wanted to say before I ask my question and specify on that. Thank you for doing all this. It's amazing. It's like having a copy family here. So it's really cool to join in every week. Just wanted to drop some gratitude here. Absolutely. So after that, um, it's about hate, right? I, I, I'm asking this question because this week's, you, you've seen the videos maybe on YouTube about people who hate on or criticize entrepreneurs or other people that are like trying to help or impact other people's lives. For example, I remember, was it? Yeah, Stefan, actually, I think it was you and and other entrepreneurs uh, like Dan Locke or um, Jason Capital, many, many, many people, right? But I always ask myself, like, 
of course, you're always going to have haters, but it's not that what matters, but the way you, you deal with it and the way you think about it. So I just, I was just wondering, how did you guys th um, take that and how do you treat the situation? How do you process that? Yeah, it's, um, it's a great question and maybe, maybe one of the best questions yet, yeah, not to say that other questions weren't good, but this is actually um, a very deep question. And thank you. There's something I shared on Facebook a couple of days ago, or actually yesterday. Um, a pillar of truth, even when mud is thrown on it, is still mm -hmm. a pillar of truth. Eventually rain will come and wash the mud away and allow that pillar of truth to shine again. And so like the concept there is if you know what you're doing is correct and true, don't allow the mud from other people's hatred or criticism prevent you from being who you're supposed to be. Because if you start to believe those lies, you enable the liar, right? And many times yeah. people are reflecting hatred and lies onto you because there's something in them that needs to be dealt with and they don't recognize it, right? So my response is like, pray for your enemies, right? Do good to those that persecute you, right? And respond in the opposite spirit. So um, it doesn't mean you like you go and like make yourself a target. It just means that when these things come up, you don't retaliate with hate. Hate doesn't defeat hate. Love defeats hate, right? And whether or not that person realizes it or not now is irrelevant. You plant the seeds that of love, right? Eventually, somehow or another, those seeds will take root in that person's life and they'll change. But by you not allowing their lies to hold you down, you allow your truth or your pillar of truth to actually become stronger and, and more profound. And I guess my final word there is really and truly just having quiet time where you could just kind of meditate and envision and visualize who God has made you to be, right? And continue to draw closer to that. Um, I know I keep like referencing like allowing who God made you to be. And, you know, by all means, I'm not religious, right? I, it might appear I am, but I'm really just like, I have a authentic relationship with Jesus, right? Um, and so I reference God, but not in a religious sense, more of a, like a, an experience, right? Because it's, it's real, it's authentic. So when, I, when I'm saying these things, it, I'm not approaching it from like a religious point of view. I'm um, mm. approaching it from like, hey, this is a proven thing that's real and try it, right? Whether you believe it or not, just open yourself up to kind of try it and see. Um, I'm sure you'll begin to see more and more just how special you are. And like, it doesn't matter what lies come and what hatred comes and what people try to do to pull you down. Use those things as motivators to continue going forward. I loved it. That's awesome. Man. It's like, if you know yourself, it doesn't matter what other people say, right? Not really. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, like it sucks, but mm -hmm. in, in the end, it doesn't really matter, right? Yeah, you're still going to be alive. <laughs> Yeah, and you, can't. Stefan, how do you think about it? Yeah, no, I'm, I um, I think Matt was very, put it pretty perfectly. I, you know, uh, yeah. nobody gets to define you but yourself, 
I mean, people will define you, but like, you know, mm. you, it's up to you if you want to listen to like other people's definitions and they all have an incomplete picture. You're the only person with a, a full or whole or complete picture. Um, you know, I think that there has to be congruency because if you define yourself one way personally, but the whole world seems to see you another way, it's like, maybe you're misunderstood and some not every now and then someone is, but maybe, you know, there's a reason that that's happening. So I think you have to look in the mirror, you know, like something like with what, um, when I got, you know, attacked, uh, kind of on, you know, YouTube by the guy, um, I got I, so pissed. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't at first. I mean, I think for me, the bigger thing was the ego part of it because at first I was like, Oh, like, you know, like I'm going to like leverage this and like use it for like, kind of like <laughs> PR type stuff. And then I'm going to go and like argue with the guy and then I'm going to do this and we do that. And I was like, why am I going to do any of that? It's like, all just like ego. It was like, you know, like I'm like, I actually makes a couple of good points. Like I, I emailed, um, cause people kept bringing up, uh, Frank Kern and there's this guy, salty droid who basically terrorized Frank Kern back in the day. So like, I emailed Frank Kern cause he's like, he was on my email list and I was like, Hey dude, um, yeah, I know you had some issues. Like, you know, can you give me some advice? And Frank gave me this really nice email and then we actually got on a call and then we kind of become like friends based on that. So, which is amazing. Right. Cause you take something that was sort of like a moment of being attacked and it's like, now I'm like friends with Frank Kern, which is really cool. Cause Frank's a super smart guy. Um, but like, but one of the things Frank said was like, you know, and looking, you know, if the guy, if anything he said was true, he's like, and it's probably not, but if it is like clean it up. And I was like, well, you know, like I've been open about how I wrote copy that was like, you know, I wouldn't write today and stuff of that nature, but I was like, yeah, you know, this was stuff I could still clean up in my business. So I just sort of used it as an opportunity. Um, and rather than trying to like fight the guy, I was like, yeah, how can I take, you know, this and just turn it into like a positive and exhibit leadership and be, um, you know, positive light and example. And then, and then the other part that went back to the congruency of how I define myself, which is somebody who's really driven to help people and, and to change people's lives is like, I mean, I know that's true. I've got between copy accelerator and RBC method and this show and my email list and feel it's like, you know, I just can measure, but I can look out there and just see all the people who I know I've made this really incredible impact on their lives. So it's like, I could, should I like listen to some random person on, you know, YouTube who said some point out thing I did like seven years ago, that was a little bit naughty and like, be like, Oh, I guess I shouldn't help people anymore. Right. Or should I be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. Like again, we, we constantly, grow. And, and it, it's, it's, if you ever get, you know, my pet peeve is like, if I see somebody from like high school or like run into them and then they kind of like act like I'm the same person, um, or they act like other people are like weird dynamics happen there. And you're like, this is so bizarre. I'm like, I don't, you know, like I, I'm not the same person. I, I mean, I was a good, I like who I was in high school. I was a good person in high school, but like the point being, like, it's like, you know, like, like the people change, evolve, times change. And I just think all that stuff is, is just so important. So, um, yeah, I think Matt said it perfectly. That's just what I would add. I, you know, I think as long as you can look in the mirror and, you know, you know that you're, you're being a force for good and positivity in, in this world and you're uh, making an impact and doing things that are bringing value, then, um, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, I mean, everyone's got haters, like, you know, mother Teresa probably had haters back in the day, right? Mm -hmm. Or so, sure. There's still people like, oh, mother Teresa actually wasn't that great. She, you know, and, you know, promoted poverty, but yeah, I mean, there's always going to be people. It doesn't matter. There's like, I don't know a single person um, who doesn't have haters. Like going back to Matt, like yeah. Jesus had a lot of haters, right? Like um, True. There's, there's, there's just always going to be haters and it's just not really worth, um, you know, worrying about that. Worry about what you can control, what you can impact, what you can do. Um, that's the way I, I approach it. And what's crazy just to add to that, um, in spite of what people do to you, all things all to, always work together for the good. There's always a per, like something good that comes out of it. 
whether or not we choose to recognize that or not, that's on us, but things will always work together for the good. Um, I'll give you a crazy example that just happened this week. Um, our theory is that there's like a, there, there was a whole bunch of, um, on ClickBank, there was a whole bunch of the top offers this week got massive uh, DDoS attacks or DOS attacks, right? So like Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, the top, like most of the top 10 sites on ClickBank kept crashing because of these attacks. And I probably <laughs> lost like 20 grand easily during that time. At first I was like, man, this, like I was starting to get kind of pissed off. And then I realized like whoever's doing this is hurt and they're trying to hurt people to like for either selfish gain or just because they want to attack someone because they're hurt. And I was like, man, I feel sorry for this person. Like mm -hmm. ultimately I'm going to make the money back. Like I expect money will come back to me, right? Whatever I lost, I'll make it back like it. And I'll probably make back much more than that. But for that person, like I feel sorry for them because they just kind of like everything, every seed you plant eventually gives life to something. Right. So if like you plant hatred and you plant attacks against people, the energy you're putting into that is going to come back to you. And mm -hmm. like, I, I'm not even upset with the person. Like I forgive the person and I, I feel sorry for that the person did this because like, it doesn't make sense. Right. So like, that's a form of hatred. Like they're, they're hate, they're hating on all these other offers. Right. I don't know why, but like, I'm not going to respond to that in hatred. Like, no, like it's going to work out just fine for me. Awesome. That's a great point. It's amazing, Matt. Um, Max, thank you for asking a question. I've got, I think we've got two to three more um, that I want to get to before we got about five minutes. Um, but those are, that was a great question, Max. Thank you so much. No, thank you guys. Keep up, keep the awesome work up. All right. Awesome. All right. That's just about it for today. Before we finish though, let me share a little bit more about how you can stay in touch with me. I have a private email list where I share high level tricks, strategies, and insights about copywriting, entrepreneurship, mindset, and more. In fact, often my podcasts are based on topics I first emailed out to my list weeks or even months earlier. So if you want to get brand new stuff from me every single day, go to stephanpaulgeorgi.com forward slash subscribe. These emails are often upwards of a thousand words and I send them every day. So make sure you really can commit to engaging with me on that level. But as long as you can, and you should, because I do drop a ton of value in these emails, go apply to join my list today. And again, the web address is stephanpaulgeorgi.com forward slash subscribe. And in case you don't know how to spell my name, which is okay, it is S-T-E-F-A-N, Paul, and then my last name is georgi, G-E-O-R-G-I.com. So stephanpaulgeorgi.com forward slash subscribe, and I will see you in my email list.